Annyeonghaseyo! Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokey and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. Guys, we have a really special episode for you today. So not only are we talking about one of our very favorite things, which is kissing, but we have a special guest tonight or today, whenever you're listening, Corinne from the Fabulous Sex Love Literature Podcast. Welcome, Corinne, to our very first crossover episode. Woohoo! Welcome! <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so, Corinne, tell us about yourself. My name is Corinne. Uh, I co-host the Sex Love Literature Podcast with my friend Ayani, in which we take a look at why and how the quote-unquote sex stuff in media matters. Uh, if you wanted to find us on social media, you can find us at Sex Love Lit, all one word. Uh, we mostly just talk about whatever media catches our fancy. So even though we have literature in the title, we mostly talk about TV shows and only occasionally about books. And that is because we are both English grad students uh, getting PhDs in literature. So we read books a lot for work. <laughs> so it's more fun to talk about television shows and movies a lot of the time. But so a little bit about me, I specialize in children's and young adult literature, and my research is on consent in contemporary young adult fantasy and speculative fiction. Uh, we were really excited to find this podcast because uh, we did a podcast episode on Crash Landing on You a while back, and Ayani was looking around to see what else there was and came across Afternoon of Delight. So I fell deeply down the K-drama rabbit hole in the summer of 2020 when, you know, everything went to hell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and since then, I've watched I, – I looked at my list and I have watched about 68 K-dramas because that is – approximately all that I watch these days unless Ayani makes me watch something else for the, something else for the podcast so that's a little bit about me 68 that is like a huge number yeah that is a huge number I'm impressed <laughs> yeah it's a little bit insane what was your inaugural drama my first k-drama was Cinderella and the Four Knights for some reason. I was on Netflix and it said it was a love triangle like Jane the Virgin in the recommendations. And I was like, that sounds fine. I'm tired of the reality television that is all I've had the brain space to watch. I will try that. And then I liked it. It was cute. Would probably watch it again. But uh, and then the second one I watched was Crash Landing on You and then the rest is history. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of the way it was for us, I think, too. Yeah, that was our that was our number one. Crash Landing on You was our number one. So we we get it. <laughs> what made y'all watch Crash Landing on You? Like when you when you saw like when you saw it on Netflix. Leah made me watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so Leo, you start Leo, you watched it first and you got me to watch it. And then Megan and I somehow got talking when Megan, I don't know if you posted something about K pop, and I'm like, if you love K pop, you should check out Korean dramas. And I was like, you need to watch this show crash landing on you and it was just like a trickle down effect but leah how did you start with crash landing so i had had like a dabbling in um chinese drama a couple of years ago i got into like meteor garden which is the um sea drama retelling of um boys over flowers which has had many iterations and really fell in love with the fact which that you they... also made me watch i did because i was like every single trope 
that I could think of was in this drama. And I just like, it blew my mind. So that was like my introduction to like Asian drama. And then I kind of went into this like sea drama wormhole for a couple of months. And for some reason, like I was like, I know Korean dramas are a thing, but I'm just really invested in Chinese drama right now. And I can only like take apparently one love into my heart at a time. And then I kind of moved on to other things. And then, yeah, we like pivoted back into the cluster hell of like, yeah, the pandemic and like the US in 2020. And, you know, yeah, we all know how bad that is. And so um, somebody talked about Crash Landing on You somewhere. Um, I think it was our friend Chanel mentioned it. Chanel Clayton, who's another author. And I think it was too. I like, yeah, yeah I put it on immediately was like, this looks really cheesy because the first episode has like, you know, the tornado. <laughs> and I was kind of like, I'm not oh, quite yeah. sure. I'm not quite the sure tornado. how I feel about yeah. this, but like I'm intrigued. And by like episode two, I was just like, I don't, I have no more, I have no more reason to live if it's not like to be with Captain Ree for, you know, the next 20 episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I do remember watching Meteor Garden and that was straight up insane. I mean, I it was like, again, every single trope that can be was in what, like 46 episodes. It was so long. And the thing is, I had watched like Train to Busan and alive so i'd watch korean zombies <laughs> and uh but and then obviously meteor garden but yeah i got into k-pop really heavily and that's when you guys were like okay well if you like k-pop you got to just go all in and i did and i have not seen the light of day since <laughs> you truly have not it's bad here we are it's making bad. friends like across you know of, literally across the country <laughs> and across the globe like i feel right. like it's been a I think after this like period and we're still in it, frankly, that's been like very disconnecting in so many ways. This has been this place that I feel like I've had like authentic connections over things that like, it's just fun to like, I don't need to like, you know, I don't know people, what they look like, where they come from, anything, but I can like sit online and talk to them about, you know, all sorts of like random debates that we get into or just like happy happiness about just loving the same things. And I think that's really special. It's so true. Cause we can just be like, mm-hmm. Oh, remember the motorcycle scene with captain Ree? Like, I don't care what country, <laughs> I don't care what country you're from. Like, everybody, yeah, everyone knows everybody it knows and they're all going to get excited. It's like, it is, it's almost like this like uniting force um, because of the widespread of of k-dramas so i want to give like a quick little story of how i think this is fun so um one of our listeners has been um you know was supporting me through watching reply 1988 which is a very difficult drama corinne i don't know if you've seen it um but megan and (laughs) i have okay (laughs) megan and amy have not so i can't talk about it and it's really hard for me not to talk about this drama it's like one of my favorites yeah so i've been sitting on this drama (laughs) And I have like, yeah, a listener that like knows about this drama. And so anyway, she recommended that I started play, um, like to play Go, like on an app. And so I have been, and it's been really fun for me. And I am horrifically bad. Like I actually do have like a learning disability dyscalculia, which means I have like bad spatial awareness essentially. (laughs) And so Go, I suck at horribly. And so we played a game. I played a game with this person who I've never met. It was super fun. She very badly beat me and that was fine like I don't care I just enjoy playing (laughs) however then my husband started playing it and he beat me 
so badly. Like it was astounding how quickly and horribly he beat me. Like maybe other people have been polite. Like he wasn't polite and he just like literally cleaned me up and he played the game like three times. So now this listener is very interested in like, is my husband like a ghost savant or like, is, is it just that I'm that bad? So I was like, I think you guys should play each other and like, see how that like all pans out. And Nick pulled me aside last night and was like, look, honestly, like, no offense. It's just, you're that bad. It's not that I'm good. It's not that I'm good. So I will play this person, but like, they're going to see that I'm really not good. And then they're just going to think our family's unintelligent. <laughs> and I was like, I, I can live with this. <laughs> so I just like that. He was like, look, I'm trying to save you from like humiliation and like the internet. <laughs> but anyway, it made me happy to think that like, even my husband might be like, you know, broadening into the sphere, even though he doesn't want to at all. Oh, that's awesome. I know. So let's get into it. Whether it's a surprise kiss, a sad kiss, a drunken love confession kiss, or a fisheye kiss, K-dramas have them all, and we love them. So in this episode, we're going to dig into all the tonsil honky goodness that keeps us queuing up Netflix and Vicky. <laughs> I can't believe I wrote Don Salaki. I can't believe you did either. But first, especially because of our guest today, we want to talk a little bit about romance and why it matters. Romance novels are a billion-dollar industry accounting for 23% of the overall fiction market. While many might think these novels are formulaic and predictable, there is a wide diversity of stories. There is only one rule. The main leads must have a happily ever after. Romance novels provide us with a safety net. We can read conflicts, trials, and tribulations while knowing that in the end, the rifts will be healed. And as romance authors, we can attest that it is not always easy to write a happily ever after. So what do you all love most about the romance genre? As a reader, I love knowing that I'll get a satisfying happily ever after. And as a writer, I love the challenge. I don't know if readers, especially romance naysayers, appreciate the fact that when you already know how a book is going to end, you need a pretty fantastic story to keep you hooked in reading when basically the end is a spoiler. So like if you already know the ending, what you're really here for as a reader is the journey. And if the journey is executed well, then the writer has done their job. Not to toot our own horns, though I'm gonna, but I think that you have to be a pretty skilled writer to pull this off. So go us and all the other romance writers out there. Um, Leah, how about you? What do you think? So for me, romance is about um, hope and happy endings, which I think can sound trite at face value. But I think it's really subversive when you layer over that the fact that really what we're doing here is like centering, um, let's say, women's pleasure and empowerment. And now, like, as we've gone into more ye recent years, I feel like... Um, you know, this has also expanded into centering the pleasure and empowerment of queer people, people of color, and, you know, other folks who mar might be marginalized due to things like disability. So, you know, I feel like as a reader myself, um, you know, I've read totally amazing trans romance. I've cried heavily over um, some of my favorite um, male male love stories. And I've been recently super obsessed um, by a book where um, a heroine was autistic and another where the heroine was in a wheelchair. So I feel like this is a genre that has 
you know, a big tent that is getting bigger and more inclusive. And I feel like there is something essential and just like vitally important for um, anyone to be able to see themselves as a being that's just worthy and deserving of desire, love and fulfillment. Megan, how about you? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you guys sound like all smart and everything. And I I mean, I'm just saying, look, I like how it makes me feel (laughs) like I (laughs) like I finished reading a book with a happily like the well, let me say like I, you know, I read this book for the journey and I love seeing you know, two people grow and overcome their conflicts. And then I get that happily ever after at the end. And it's just like a shot of dopamine. Like it's better than drugs. Well, not that I take drugs or I ever have, but I just mean, I assume it's like a similar feeling. It's just a great <laughs> shot of dopamine. And I love how it makes me feel. That's why I love romance. So Corinne, how do you feel? So I come at this from kind of a different angle because I do not write romance. Uh, I more study literature and I don't necessarily always study romance I more study young adult stuff but I think it's really interesting looking at the way that culture is depicted within romance because it is something that is so widely read we can get a lot of information about how norms around sex and sexuality and love and consent which is what I often specifically look at are functioning and what kinds of ideas people are are enjoying in their books and what they might be getting from it. There's also like, because I do young adult stuff, the didactic element. So like the thing that got me into my research project that I have was looking specifically at birth control in young adult fantasy. So when an author has like intentionally created imaginary, pretend, not real birth control and included it in books, that was like kind of a light bulb moment for me and like something that represents like a lived reality for a lot of people in an imagined alternate world. So I like that imaginative space to sort of imagine other possibilities, I think. And I think romance can function in a lot of the same way. That was fascinating. Okay, I have a digression question, Mm -hmm. but I must know. So what have you come across in terms of, you know, fantasy birth control? Because (laughs) now I just have so many questions and I'm actually curious. Yeah, so the first one... I think the biggest author to think about, because I look at young adult, I can't necessarily speak to adult stuff as much, but like, mm-hmm. all right. So the the first big one that I would think about would be Tamora Pierce um, with the, she we've, the we've read a lot of young charm adult here that too. Uh, mean... characters wear in the Tortal universe. And then in the Emmeline universe, she has like an herb that men take, which I thought was fascinating because it's like a totally different take on who has responsibility mm-hmm. and there's like a whole conversation around that and then the next one I looked at was Christian Kishore who has an herb that women take after sex so it functions kind of like a morning after pill but like it grows so like you can find it like naturally which is interesting but then one of the things and a lot of the time it ends up being like an herb of some kind or like a magical charm if there's a magical system at play but something that I found Because I thought birth control would always be this, like, great thing (laughs) that would exist in this world. But, like, as with many things, uh, it can be subverted to be not always good. So that then led me to consent. Because if birth control isn't used without – or consensually, uh, then that's also a problem. So, yeah, that's the, I guess, TLDR of my uh, research. (laughs) That is so interesting. No, thank you. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you very much. 
yeah thanks thanks for <laughs> um so yeah this probably is a little bit more of a question for for the authors so i'm sorry that i wrote this oh that's fine <laughs> but i did i did want to know what romance criticism bothers you the most amy what do you think so at one of my very first author events that wasn't romance centered I had a reader come by my table and look at the books that I was selling slash signing and say, oh, you write romance? I hope this is a foot in the door for you to write real books someday. And that's not the first time that I've come across something like that. And another one is that as soon as I tell a non-romance reader that I write romance, they ask either if my books are like Fifty Shades or if I have Fabio on all of my covers, because basically I just feel like if you don't know romance, then all you know are the romance stigmas. And that's what gets thrown at me. Um, and it, and mm -hmm. to me, it feels like it feels like shouting at the wind to try and defend it because somebody who doesn't know the genre, you can't explain it to them in an elevator pitch kind of way, you know. So that's, I mean, I've I've been published for seven years, seven years, I think. Yeah, we all started in 2014. Um, and this, yeah, I mean, it still comes up. It still happens. I still get my haunches up. Like every time somebody says, oh, what do you write? And I'm going to come out and say romance. And I'm already like prepared to defend it. Like as soon as I, as soon as I'm about to say it. So, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's me. Leah, how about you? For me? I mean, there's like the strangers on the internet, which like doesn't really bother me so much, but I think something that has like had gotten under my skin was like these secondhand reports of like people I knew in my like real life who like were talking shit about me being like you know oh do you hear what like Leah's doing these days like oh my god and I was like yeah bitches I'm getting my books in Target and writing about shower masturbation <laughs> um <laughs> I mean but like now it doesn't bother me at all. And I feel like it's because I've had like my yums yucked so many times that like the unexpected benefit to that is now I just like like what I like and I'm not even like remotely ashamed or apologetic about it. And I don't feel like this is true in all areas of my life. You know, I'm not like the stone cold badass bitch like across the board. But when it comes to um, really having a solid appreciation for commercial fiction and in particular the um, romance genre like yeah I just I like it and I think that everyone you know I think that there's a space and a book that's probably for most people and so if folks want to get over themselves they like should give it a go because they're going to find something they like yeah I do want to say I love that shower masturbation scene that you wrote so it's amazing. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess I'll just echo both of you because I've had very similar experiences. I do want to give an anecdote because this kind of was just a good example of how, I don't know, people just view romance. So um, not to get like too technical, but so uh, about insurance because that's a boring topic, but, um, but I swear I'm bringing it back around. I swear I'm bringing it back around. Yeah, I know. My brother is my insurance agent. Okay. So, uh, and like, he's actually pretty proud of what I do, but I feel like he, <laughs> when he tells other people, he has to be a little bit derisive. Is that the word I'm looking for? Like he has to be a little, he has to be like a little critical. Maybe I'll just say that. So I feel like when he talks to other people, he has to be like a little critical. So, um, but, but I, I mean, I think he's proud of me. I, well, I know he's proud of me, but you know what I'm saying? So anyway. 
so my husband and I have, you know, a home and auto insurance policy. And my brother's like, you really need an umbrella policy. So what that is, it's like this, like <laughs> policy that kind of sits over everything and it's liability. And basically if, I don't know, we would get sued, it would protect us now that we have like, you know, a new house and all that kind of stuff. And so, and I used to work for my brother. So like, I know how it works. You have to fill out what you do for a living. So of course my husband's boring and he's a software engineer and I'm an author. And so I get this call from my brother and he's like, uh, since you write porn, uh, the umbrella, the umbrella company won't cover you. And I literally just like, I just paused and I go, I'm not gonna say my brother's name, but I was like, did you tell them I write porn? <laughs> I literally was like, do not tell me <laughs> that you told them. I mean, nothing's wrong with sex work or whatever, you know, go ahead. But like, that's not what I'm doing. And I was like, did you actually say that? And he's like, he's like, he laughed. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm, it's just, you're an author, any author, <laughs> which I did know that. And then I was like, oh, you're right. They won't cover any authors. We had to get some special policy that of course was a hundred dollars more just because I'm an author. But the whole point was, I was like, can you not do that? Like, why would you call me and say that? And like, it's not what I do, you know? God, get it from your, you know, it's like, I even get that from my family. I get it enough from like other people, but then he has to be a, a butthead about it. But you know, whatever, brothers. Thanks for listening to my anecdote about insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming to my romance TED talk about my brother. <laughs> I will we'll be googling umbrella insurance policies because I don't know what that means. I don't I either. Don't I don't. One. I don't either, Leah. I don't. I don't think I have that. So, well, it's not sexy, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> no, we are not going to. We're not going to delve into insurance on this one. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, no one so wants yeah, I'll save. I'll save my questions on that for another time. But okay. I think it's like just um, somebody who like might not be actively like writing genre fiction, but like obviously like. <laughs> consumes it from time to time from time to time like maybe do you have anything to weigh in on like the topic as a whole just from like you know liking things you know and (laughs) yeah so I think something that kind of I think about a lot as someone who specializes not only in like children's young adult literature which people within the academy within the academy like look down on a lot is like it must be too simple like there must not be anything going on there there's also like genre fiction within that that like I specialize in and I think which is young adult fantasy is largely read by like young women and I think there's a tendency to be like oh if it's for girls particularly teenage girls but for adult women it must be stupid (laughs) and to just automatically dismiss it and I think that's kind of just Mm -hmm. structurally at play in the way people view things and then even if like women are dismissing romance as like a genre it's just this sort of like anticipatory I don't want you to think I'm stupid, so I must draw a boundary between me and this thing, even if I secretly enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I get that a lot when I say I studied with, it's not exactly the same, but like when I say I studied children's literature, people are like, oh, so like you write kids books? And it's like, nope, I do not do that. I do not write creatively. That is not a thing that I do. Uh and then when I'm like, oh, and then I study consent, they're like, oh, that's interesting. But like, I have to do that other, that next step of like, but the subject I'm doing is interesting for people then to like, buy it. So it, it's like just mm. always this assumption that I have to prove the worth of what I'm doing to someone because they're not going to automatically accept that it's smart. Mm-hmm. 
Totally. And I, I love I that you bring up, I, I love that you bring that up because I, so I was a high school English teacher for 13 years and then I was a high school librarian for six years. Now I'm in my second year as an elementary school librarian. And I can tell you that I have, of all the books that I've read, I would say 90% of them are young adult. And it's not mm-hmm. because I taught those students, even though it did help me connect with them, it is because it is good work and I enjoy it. And I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, I'm a woman in my forties and I read, you know, teen fantasy or whatever, because there's some good shit out there and Mm -hmm. good writing is good writing. And it doesn't matter who your intended audience is that if you read a book and you enjoy the story, like it's just, it's good writing. It doesn't matter. So I love that you're doing that. I hate that you have to like tap on the (laughs) consent thing to get people interested, but I still love that you're doing that. Thank you. Well, and it's interesting. So I may be getting a little too in the weeds here, but like if we think about like Mm -hmm. the origins of young adult fantasy, so like Tamora Pierce's first, like the Atlanta the Lioness Quartet, she originally tried to publish as a novel for adults, uh, like a single novel for adults. And her publisher's like, how about you try for younger readers? And we divide it into four. So like because adult fantasy was so dominated by men, young adult fantasy like Mm -hmm. sort of began as a space for in which women could write and get published more easily. So uh, there's like a lot of, I think, mm-hmm. feminist work going on there that I think has been overlooked a lot academically and critically. And just like, there's this just whole history, like a 40 year history of feminist writing that happens to be for younger readers, but like, that's cause that's like, they found the back door to get published there. Yeah. No, I that didn't makes know sense. that, but that makes sense. Cause if you think about it, like, I mean, I'm not like deeply steeped in fantasy, but I do know that, you know, for adult fantasy, it can be tricky to see folks that are like breaking out, like who are women. Like I can think of like Ambition and like maybe a handful of others, but I don't even feel like they have like the same, like, you know, like at home recognition that so many of like the male fantasy writers do. Or are, like, getting, like, big, and I mean, like, I could be wrong in this, too, because I haven't, like, done much looking into it. But when I think of a lot of the shows that are, like, you know, being adapted from books, I think it's either young adult fantasy written by women that are, like, getting adapted, kind of like we're seeing with, like, the Grishaverse taking off Mm -hmm. now and things like that. But then, like, it seems like it's, a for the adult adult, it seems more like it's male fantasy that Mm -hmm. is getting, like, the deals into, like, um you know, getting made into movies and getting money put behind it. I do think that, that, I think that's definitely true. I do think that's maybe hopefully potentially changing a little bit with the work of like N.K. Jemisin and Nettie Okorafor getting adaptation deals. But like, that's only really within the last like 10 years that that's like substantially changed as to like who's getting that spotlight. Um, Yeah. This is good stuff. I could talk about this all night. Seeing fantasy, I think, expand into more diverse spaces, too, I think is like another like welcome thing that I think Mm -hmm. is probably being mirrored a little bit like we're seeing happen in the romance genre as well, where fantasy is becoming like more Mm -hmm. inclusive and like having like, you know, opening up to like queer stories or just, you know, different marginalized folks. Yeah, I think that's definitely true in young adult fantasy as well. Like it has been, you know, pretty white for a while. And I think that is starting to change in a way that I find very encouraging personally. Nice. Well, why don't we get into um, a couple of um, listener responses to a question that we posed before we start to dive into what we really all came here for, which is to talk about kissing. 
Um, <laughs> so on Instagram today, I just kind of put out like a very general question of who do you think is the best kisser in K-dramas? And at this point, we have 32 responses, which is pretty good for me putting it out like a couple hours ago. So obviously, <laughs> folks out there have thoughts. And a couple of names have come up over and over. So I just want to take a poll here. Who would you say, um, you know, Corinne, Amy, Megan, would you say is like being voted as like, you know, the top kissers? I'm just curious if there's like alignment here. I, I think that my name today gives it gives away what I'm going to say. <laughs> my name on Squadcast. I think we talked about this before that we all we all we usually um, put our Squadcast names when we log in. That's that's our recording platform, and our name that we put in has something to do with the drama that we're talking about or the subject of the podcast. And uh, Megan decided to be nice to our guest tonight and put her real name so that Corinne knew who we were. <laughs> but Leah Lea and I did not go that way. Um, so just so everybody out there knows what my, um, my screen name is tonight and it is take me against adore gong you. All right. So gong, so you, my vote. gong use your vote. And I will say no gong. You has three votes out of the whole. Wow. All right. Well, that's still my vote. So. <laughs> All right, Corinne, who do you think? Who, who would you think got a lot? I of wonder votes? if. Jung Hae-in got any votes? Because he was in Pretty Nuna Who Buys Me Food. And, like, he's mostly in, like, very, very, like, romantic kissing, like, the whole the whole drama dramas. But I'm not sure if he's got enough play with, like, more of an American audience, depending on who your Instagram follows. I am going to say we have none Uh, for that poor fellow. So that's just a me thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, Megan, okay. I have a feeling you might be bringing home the trophy tonight. I, I think I know who she's going to yeah, say. I know. Probably okay. be right. Yeah. So just so you know, my we have a we have a tie to too, nice Megan. To Corinne, we have a tie for our top votes. Okay. So my name was going to be Healer Is Bay. Because it's Ji Chang Wook all day, every day for me. Yep. So that is one, and there is a tie. Is Park Sejun one of them too? Park Sejun is the other top kisser <gasps> on yeah. our random straw poll. So I'm just yeah. going to read a couple of the comments that were funny. I am not surprised by those at all. At all. So I saw Ji yeah. Chang Wook never disappoints. The only problem is he isn't kissing me. I see Ji Chang. Ji Chang Wook. He gets that hungry face and wow. Um. And then I got to say there was a very controversial comment that came through, which is Chloe literally has the worst kissing scenes. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, think that that's very controversial, actually. Okay. I'm just, for me, it took me by surprise. And then that person said that Vincenzo and K2 had solid kissing yeah. scenes. Um, there were a few votes for Startup. Startup got some love. And then, yes. um, you know what? Reply nineteen eighty eight, which I'm I cannot sorry. talk about because in a, we're watching it. This me off. <laughs> the scene in re- the scene in reply ninety eight. So you can't go look at the comment that got <laughs> that got the love too. And Corinne knows it because Corinne knows what the I do. We're both just like not up, and so you don't know it, and I can't talk about it. <laughs> 
So there we have it, though. The top choices for afternoon listeners, at least this afternoon, Park Sejun and Ji Chang Wook. I'm going to say Park Sejun. I don't have like any. Oh my God, and fight for my way? What? Oh, fight for my way. Fight for my way. They left me very like oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not like opposed. It's just like I have no memory. Like there's no. Oh my god. I think about his, his I think about several. Yeah. <laughs> not even in what's wrong with Secretary Kim. Yeah, Secretary yeah. Kim too. Okay, no, him popping right. the button in nice. Secretary Kim. <laughs> I have that memory. And like lighting the candles. Okay, no, okay. Secretary Kim, a little bit. Lighting all those candles. Yes. So I have to say, because when we watched Secretary Kim, that's when we realized, so Crush on Me and You is still one of my top dramas, but when we watched Secretary Kim, that's when we realized how much we were robbed in Crash Landing on You. And I'm talking me and Leah, because Megan just recently watched Secretary Kim. Um, but how robbed we were, because there is some dang good kissing in that drama and some sexy you know, stuff like popping the buttons and stuff like that. And then we have Crash Landing on You, where it is the chastest of the chastest of the chaste. And these are grown ass adult people like in their late mid to late thirties who never even give a hint of sharing a bed. Yes. Okay. 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 Yes. And we'll get to this. We'll get to this. I know, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not surprised. I got to say, I got to say, I got to say this one thing though, because it's making me like hurt inside that somebody and that you validated this idea that Chloe does has the worst kissing scenes when she steps over the boundary to go oh, home. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Grabs her and is like, what's the <laughs> hurt? That's like, in his in his handcuff. Oh, oh, I'm thinking of the handcuff one. No, no, oh, no, yeah, no. the boundary like, one, that one. Yeah, in the yeah. night when she like steps back over like yes. the line and he like finally yes. crosses it. Oh, like it's so good. I, I don't think, I don't think it has the worst kissing. I'm just saying I'm not surprised that some people said that because- we, I, I feel like we were robbed. I feel like it could have been so much more. And that's that's where I'm coming at it from. I hear it, but I don't know. When they did give it, they really gave it. <laughs> it was emotional kissing. It was never sexy kissing. It was very cinematic, I think. Like, the scenes where they kissed, it was very, yes, like... it was very cinematic. And, and it was always very earned by the narrative, it like a, but it was never, like, casual. Yes. Yes. It, to me, it was like, I mean, and I'm going to so date myself here, but I felt like I was like, it was like watching the English patient, <laughs> like, like, which is such, such an emotional movie. And like, don't get me wrong. Like I said, Crash Landing in You is still one of my very top dramas and I love it. And we're going to do rewatch and I'm, I'm so excited for it. Um, but yes, I, I love the spin that you just put on it, Corinne. It was very earned by the narrative and it was never just kissing for kissing sake, which sometimes I really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a lot. So, all right. So let's let's shine the light back on ourselves. Then we've we've heard from some listeners. What actors do you think are the best kissers? I just love we're doing a show on this. <laughs> it's making me so happy. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is, this is the best. What act? What K drama actors do, do you think are the best kissers, and who would you kiss with a hall pass? So I, you know, I already gave myself away, and I don't. I don't care about this. And we talked about this in um, a snack that we recorded for our Patreon last week. And I've literally been thinking about it ever since. So Leah brought up Gong Yu and Yunnan Hai's kiss against the apartment door in Coffee Prince. And it made me want to watch that drama all over again, or or at the very least that scene, which spoiler, I did watch this week. Um, And I just 
cannot with how sexy that scene is. And Gong Yu was already at the top of my list before even seeing it because I already loved him from Goblin. So yeah, I think he's in the A plus category for me. And I don't care that he didn't get as many votes as Ji Chang Wooker <laughs> Park Sejun because that means there's just more Gong Yu for me. And I'm single, so I don't need no hall pass. He's all mine. And I'll also take Lee Joongi and Lee Min Ho, <laughs> but Lee Min Ho has to be dressed as the king. Lee Gong. Thank you. Do you need him in like his white military outfit? Yes. Okay. Yes. White military mixing rice with his hands for me. Yes. Okay. So for me, look, I tried to repost the Lee Dong Wook tail the nine tailed sex neck vein on TikTok. <laughs> And they took it down saying it was too racy. So I'm just going to say that when the guy gets going, he gets going. (laughs) And I remember like, this was like a long ago podcast where like Megan went on this like rapturous thing of like, oh, I don't want to kiss Lee Dong-wook because I'm such a happily married woman. But I would love to like survey the many women who have kissed him just to like get the play by play of like how he gets his neck into it and like the angles of his jaw. (laughs) And, you know, fair. I don't know if I'm even that moral. I think I would just be like, you know what? I'll go to confession tomorrow. <laughs> and <laughs> my whole... Wait, go ahead. What? No, I was just going to ask, when you tried to repost the sex neck thing on TikTok, could you tell it was a neck? I mean, it does look like a baby arm. I'm not going to lie. Did TikTok think it was a dick? Did did TikTok think it was a dick? No, no. That's what I'm getting at. It pulls back. It pulls back and shows him just like ravaging her on the bed. Corinne, do you know about the sex neck vein on Intel the Nine Tails? I'm obsessed with it. I've heard y'all talk about it, but I haven't seen that one yet. (laughs) All right. I mean, like. Well, first of all, it's the most batshit bananas drama ever in the best way like in the best like we we but, loved it but the scene but is bananas like cuckoo bananas plot so it, just so you know. it doesn't hold up it doesn't hold up at all and it doesn't matter because lead on what it's like has insane. a baby he's arm kissing the, the lead and his, this <laughs> neck vein is just like i mean he was putting everything into that kiss like talk about method acting or something like this vein was like was like two inches from his neck it was <laughs> crazy i remember i like rewound it i'm like is that a vein it's so great it's so great it's so i mean it's legit amazing and for me my hall pass is easy i feel like yes i am a dirty ajuma about this but it's forever and always kong ha Nul for me and i don't think he has had yet a moment to really show what I think he's capable of in terms of kissing. He's had his, he's had kissing scenes, but I think none that have like lit the fire that I think he has inside. (laughs) Especially, especially with that gigantic mouth. Oh my God. You know it. Thank (laughs) you. There's so much he can do with that mouth. I want to see a full, I want him to open it up like a Pez dispenser and just like inhale. (laughs) Yeah, follow up. (laughs) All right, Corinne. (laughs) Follow that up. (laughs) So, uh, some actors that I generally like to kiss. I really like seeing Kim So Hyun because his kisses in It's Okay to Not Be Okay Mm -hmm. and then My Love from the Star are like very good, especially It's Okay to Not Be Okay. The one on uh, Coleman Young's birthday, like that one's gold. I'm here Mm -hmm. for it. 
I also really appreciate Nam Joo Hyuk's kissing because he's not really like for me, but like I've watched some dramas with him. So he's in like in Startup and Weightlifting Fairy. He's also in like a very mm-hmm. medium drama called Bright of the Water God, which like I finished and like it was fine. But like there's this kiss that he has that's like he kisses her and like they go all the way up the stairs and like back and onto the couch. And I was like, that man knows what he's doing. I don't know. Like, and I was very here for it. <laughs> and particularly when I was here for it, when I wasn't here for the drama, I think was interesting for me. But then personally for me, I don't need a hall pass either. I'm single. But if I'm talking for me, I'm 100% in for Kim Sono. That's oh, what I'm here for now. Kim Sono. So fair. I mean, fair. fair. Yeah amazing amazing yeah yep i'm not i'm not sure if he's like brought it all the way yet either in what i see i agree i I don't think he's i don't think he's delivered what he's i think it's coming yeah (laughs) but like i like hometown (laughs) cha 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 but like the kissing has been like that's fine but like yeah it just feels like there's untapped depths there oh yeah i can't wait to see more of him um yeah and I love that you brought up Nam Joo Hyuk because I just finished Startup and I talk about the Startup kiss in a little bit. Like I, him I just, big hands. I want to see more, more, more from him. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> nothing and no one will get me like Ji Chang Wook. Okay. So that man kisses like he's starving. Um, so here's the thing. I don't get like titillated by K-dramas and it's perfectly fine because that's not why I watch them like I swoon and I get butterflies and I feel all the emotions but like titillated or aroused you know no like that that doesn't that just doesn't happen unless I'm watching Ji Chang Wook I don't know I don't know what it is about him but oh my gosh like something happens to me I turn into a dirty ajuma I can't take him because he like grabs this woman's face and he goes like all in. I mean, even kissing uh, in Suspicious Partner, like that wasn't even like, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, he he is. He eats. He eats. He eats the face. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my hall pass is Ji Chang Wook, and like I'll wear that hall pass like a badge. I just love him. <laughs> Sorry, in our books and in Western like media, I feel like the first kiss comes a lot earlier than it does sometimes in a K drama. And I mean, one big romance trope, especially like in books that I've seen, a fun romance trope is to start with a supposed one night stand only for the characters to realize they now both work together or one is the other's boss or et cetera. So it's a fun setup. And sometimes we have that setup in Western media where it's full on sex before the story, you know, really even gets going. And that's the setup. Um, But I think K-drama in comparison is a lot more chaste. Kisses come later which is fine with me because the anticipation of it is absolutely worth it. And I think um, when we're talking about like the beats of a romance, especially in a book, like if I'm writing a book, the kiss comes first and the relationship second. And in K-drama, more often than not, I'm not saying this is, you know, the the hard and fast rule, but it seems like in K-drama, once a couple kisses, they say, okay, so this is our day one and they're in a relationship, you know? So there's definitely um, a difference, I think, between Western media um, and what we're seeing in Korean dramas. And I don't, I don't know if I prize one over the other at all because I've been very used to, you know, what we get in Western media, and I don't dislike it. But I've learned to really enjoy the anticipation of the kiss in the K drama, um, 
almost more than the kiss itself, but not, not more, almost more. <laughs> cause, cause the lead up is a lot of fun. It really is. It's that intense, you know, anticipation of it. And I love that feeling. And then you get the payoff. Um, Corinne, you've got some fun stuff to say. Yeah. So I definitely agree that most of the time we have to wait a long time to get the real first kiss. A lot of the time we get sort of like a fake doesn't count first kiss within the first, like, I think one to three episodes that like doesn't count for some kind of kind of plot reason, but like gives you a taste of what you might get later. So like some examples that I'm thinking about are like the fake out make out on the boat in Cloy and fake out make outs are very fun because it's like, oh, wait, that was fake, but also, like, maybe I liked it, and I don't know if I want to think about that more or not. Uh, But then we had, like, the – this might be a hometown cha-cha-cha spoiler, but only, like, a little – a few episodes in, but there's, like, too drunk doesn't count kind of kiss. So it's, like, it was, like, something someone did without thinking about it, and then it's, like, we're going to pretend that didn't happen the next day. Um, And then there's, like, in the fantasy realm, uh, and I'm thinking here of Korean Odyssey – there, it, there, a kiss is used to like set a spell in place to function. So, like, it's a plot reason to make them kiss, but it's not like a real relationship kiss. Um, and then also sometimes they just like this doesn't happen very often, but like occasionally they'll like hook up in the first two episodes. Like, there's a one night stand that starts the beginning of Search WWW that like I was extremely here for. <laughs> So, but like when, when that happens, it's an exception and not the rule, I think. But like, because that happens that way, then they like have to like press pause and then wait a long time until they like really kiss when they're really in a relationship. Like there has to be a bunch of rewinding to make that work. Yes. And talking about her private life, for me, I felt like, I don't know. I thought that as a writer, I was like, I felt really dumb because I was like, damn. Like a fake imaginary kiss is not something I'd used or really thought about using as a device. And then I just realized what a good, easy way it is to like inject some sexual energy early in the story while like still drawing off while still drawing out the real payoff for um, the reader. And so for me, I really remember like when I was watching her private life being like, cause I feel like a lot of times in watching K-drama, I've been like, oh, these are, like, ideas, obviously, that I want to go back and, like, incorporate some of these into, like, fiction. And that was one that really stood out for me, where I was like, I really just haven't thought too much about the fake out kissing. And, yeah, for me, it was, like, in my little, like, Raider 101 book. It was so well done. And Leah had watched it before I had. And had even told me that there's this, like, great, like, you know, imaginary kiss and it's so fantastic and I couldn't believe that I didn't realize it was imaginary and then I went and watched the drama and I totally forgot that she said that to me so hopefully any of you listening will totally forget that we're spoiling this for you right now um because I totally forgot and then that scene happened and it felt 100% real and then it wasn't and it was always like with the fake kissing kinds of things they always use them in the like on the next episode clips and like make it look like it's real and they're absolutely cheating but I also fall for it every time (laughs) so look at me in my past response leading into the next question without even realizing it um so for sure I think that the k-drama kiss especially when I first started watching is basically everything like I'm on the edge of my seat in agonizing anticipation waiting for it whereas in western entertainment like I stated in the in like the previous question the story might start with a kiss or even sex 
So I think through a K-drama, I found that the anticipation of the kiss and then the kiss finally happening is sometimes me is sometimes for me more rewarding than if it happens early and often. Like there may only be two kisses in 16 episodes of a K-drama. And that's not disappointing to me because the way that they get to those kisses is so damn satisfying that I am 100% here for it. Corinne, what do you think? Ah, uh, so I agree that I think I value the kisses more because they're fewer. But <laughs> we don't have to talk about this in great depth, but I do think in the past couple of years, maybe as K-dramas have gotten, I don't know, more international audiences and more distribution on Netflix, some of them have gotten a lot spicier. So there's this Tumblr post that I saw that I now think about when I see K-dramas that get very spicy that basically says like, 2020 the year k-dramas discovered porn <laughs> and uh, it has pictures mm-hmm. it has screenshots from tale of the nine but it has screenshots from tale of the nine tailed love struck in the city and uh flower of evil <laughs> and i was like hmm, okay well and especially especially love struck in the city i was gonna say i'm gonna I'd defend see. flower of evil with every fiber fiber of my being they're a married couple so they can get it all they want throughout that drama <laughs> no i mean i'm I know I'm not oh, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm not as objecting. Far as, like, being like you know, your K drama <laughs> discovered, you know, porn or whatever. Like I, I just I think like I think it's funny that that was one of the examples. But they were. I mean, what it was one of you like Leah or Megan that found like an interview about it where they were talking about how people thought it was unrealistic the way that how amorous they were as a married couple. Yeah, but it was I in was an inner like, hey, like they I'm were in a variety show and they were joking like the hosts were joking being like you know, obviously the most like outlandish part of this like story being fiction is the fact that like these folks have been married for like six or seven or 10 years and like can't keep their hands off of each other. And I was like, from where I sit, that checks out. Yes. So look, I guess since it's our podcast, I can... I can change the question a bit if I want to. So for me, I wanted to like deviate off of this to just talk briefly about Korean cinema too. Um, Because like we've like acknowledged in the podcast, like, you know, there's not even this like whisper of bed sharing on crash landing on you. And being that that was like my introduction into K drama, um, even like (laughs) secretary Kim and like the sexy button popping, like I made this assumption that Korean cinema would be pretty tame because I just was like a complete newbie across the board to like Korean entertainment. And I think that this assumption was probably one of the wrongest wrongs that I've like ever had to be wrong about. And I will say that like (laughs) since I've like begun to like check out more Korean cinema too, I'd say that I have seen like some of the most sexually explicit and erotic sex scenes (laughs) ever, just hands down. So, for example, The Handmaiden, which Amy and Megan haven't watched, even though I've told them to a lot. (laughs) Um, Like, this is actually just, like, a genius movie to me in general. But, like, the heroine in it, who is also the heroine in Mr. Sunshine, like, in Mr. Sunshine, spoiler, like, she doesn't even, like, kiss in Mr. Sunshine. And yet we go into The Handmaiden and there's like close up between the legs shot sapphic lovemaking that like for me through like my cishet gaze felt like it centered female pleasure and was just visually amazing. And like also since we're in this like conversation where we've been talking a little bit about books and dramas, I wanted to also talk about uh, another film that I haven't seen yet, but I do want to. 
because look, this is just like my thing is um, there's this 1999 Korean film called lies and it depicts an actual, like it has actual penetrative sex in the film. And um, like, so the characters just like are fucking and um, like, actually, like, I know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> they're, not, they're not pretending. <laughs> okay. Are they, there's like, there's like something yeah, it's inserted not fake. It's into. <laughs> yeah. But like, yes. is it porn? No. Penetration. Is it penetrative yeah. sex actually and not simulated? Yes. And the novel, which is also like about a state, like a sadomasochistic relationship between an 18 year old schoolgirl and a 38 year old sculptor. Um, and look, Corinne, I'm sure like your consensual head may be blowing on this. So just like, don't judge me here. <laughs> but like, the book is called Try, Try Lying to Me. And the author, um, Jang Jung-il, was actually <laughs> imprisoned for writing this book on the grounds of um, pornography. So I thought that was really interesting as well. What? So sorry, not sorry for that little digression. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Yeah, something that also makes me think of is maybe the the conventions of depicting sex depending on the genre within K-drama because like uh so if we think about Squid Game which I've only seen like the first four episodes of but the most explicit sex I've seen in a K-drama was somehow yeah. in Squid Game <laughs> yes. which I was watching with my parents and even though I'm like fully grown that was like not something that I enjoyed <laughs> watching with my parents uh, but like Fair. if if because like it's uncomfortable sex and it's supposed to be so like they're not it, so like they're not romanticizing it the way that it would be in like a rom-com or like a romance or a romantic melodrama so they can maybe show more because like they're, maybe they're not concerned about like viewers wanting to emulate that <laughs> yeah no very i fair. don't know i would not have wanted to watch that scene with my parents <laughs> i wonder if we're also more public with I mean, with PDA, like, it's just more acceptable to have PDA or a past a level that it seems to me as a white American woman, I don't really know, is like, like, when there is more physical affection in K-dramas, it's in private. Like, it's not in public But, like, spaces. could we at least, could we at least have seen you and Suri and Captain Ree, like, walk into the same room together and just close the door? <laughs> So, like I said, I, I, I've been talking about the coffee prints up against the door kiss, you know, and I'll talk about that until, you know, my last breath. But because I'm head over heels for startup right now, and I just finished it last night, um, and Corinne already brought up um, our hero from startup, Namju Hyuk, and uh, our heroine is uh, Bay Suzy. So I'm going to talk about the Namdasan and Sadami's uh, their first kiss because I was not expecting it from my little earnest but inexperienced Namdo-san. And I love when a kiss takes me by surprise. Um, they're standing on this windy rooftop and they're talking about, you know, being a little bit reckless as far as working together. And the scenery <laughs> is like just top notch. And then all of a sudden he just, you know, leans in and grabs her and kisses her. And you know it's coming, like you know it's coming from the setup, but you still, it's still surprising. At least it was for me because it was so, it was like this leap for his character, I think, um, in uh, in taking initiative and not <laughs> just, you know, in the workplace, but in his relationship with, with Dalmi. And it was a very bold move for him, um, especially when we're still in the part of the story where 
he's lying about who he was in the past and, you know, and she's trusting him. So yeah, I just, I mean, to me, that was a big, it, it definitely was part of the plot. It was a big shift and it was a big shift in his character. And he has just such a fantastic, such great growth and such a fantastic arc. And I, I just love that little tiny peek into who, into the man that Namjo San is going to become. And it's a fantastic kiss. So I love Namdo San as a character. We're going to talk about startup, I think, next week. And like, boy, there's a lot to say there. But like, for me, this was one of those like examples where romance is really deeply <laughs> personal because this kiss, that rooftop kiss, honestly left me like, meh, it was fine. But like, that's fine. Like, because I'm also going to talk about one of my kisses that I think is amazing. And apparently Megan's like, meh, it's fine. So here we go. So she me, like, is this the one that Megan didn't remember? I don't Did even Megan, know. Is this Me- the one that Megan you didn't remember when we first talked about it? Okay. So Meg Megan's famous for thinking that this well, like, you know, the main I know. Is- See, I'm like really famous for not I'm famous. That sounds very conceited. I just mean on the podcast. I've said repeatedly, I actually don't give a crap about the Asian. <laughs> the they have her in a schoolgirl <laughs> bow tie. The whole drama. I couldn't deal get her out of those goddamn clothes put her in a jeans and a sweater i could not deal with a schoolgirl bow tie it is a it big point of contention though. drove me nuts like i was like get her out of that so that she looks not <laughs> um 15 and but, then maybe i can handle this. but for so me i my deal but we can yeah it's a big point of contention and for me i thought like there i think there's lots of really good kissing in goblin but for me like the i miss you goblin kiss when like untek is in quebec and gets her memories back and like runs with like the arm flail basically to like the cutest little christmas shop on the planet and like grabs the cutest little log candle outside and like blows it out to like summon him and then just stands there scream crying i miss you and then in the middle of her freak out flail, we just see like Gong Yu grab her and like pull her in. I like just don't compute in my body or brain that like Megan can watch that and not feel that romance. But that's okay. I mean, like I respect it. I just don't understand it. So <laughs> it's, I mean, it's my top, it's my top drama. So I will never argue with you there. I love that kiss. Oh, I was just going to say, I Goblin is one I feel kind of weird about because I was super into it when I was watching it. But then the further removed I got, because I study consent uh and I thought about like the age gap stuff I know it's very boring but well it's, it's more because the boring. of the actors <laughs> that yes, I was like fair. I don't know I really like this but I feel weird about liking it so sorry for a dose of realism there <laughs> No, it's fine I mean look I just this is where like I now have like the ironclad like look I just like what I like. And if it's like problematic, I get, we talk a lot about what's problematic in real life and that we wouldn't condone. And then like what's problematic in K-drama where I'm like, yeah, bring it and like layer it and pour it all over me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I, and I feel like you get a, you get a pass with, you get a little bit more of a pass with fantasy because Mm -hmm. yes, it's Gong Yu playing Kim Shin, but in that reality, He's almost a thousand years old, so it's going to be icky no matter who he's with because there's a ginormous age difference. So I think you get away with a little bit more when you do have a fantasy type character. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to come for Goblin. Like, I err on preferring it. (laughs) 
So, but not in real life. No, not in real life. <laughs> um, it's going well. Okay. So um, another one too, that I just need to like give like a very big shout out to is in hospital playlist, which Megan hasn't watched. God damn it. So like, I can't give all the context. So um, I'm already not giving the reply 1988 context. And now I'm just going to give a very high level one of like, there was the kiss of Baron Choo Choo and hospital playlist. And I have to say that I just didn't think that this character, Dame Young had those skills in him. Like <laughs> the bull cut awkward introvert showed up with skills. Like it's always those quiet ones. Like I expected Ji Chang Wook and Lee Dong Wook. Like at this point, they're going to deliver that A plus head tilt, open mouth kiss. But I was not expecting this. And Choo Choo like deserved to take it all. And I don't want to make Amy mad, so I'm not going to pluck the low-hanging fruit of acknowledging that he's also an OBGYN, so clearly knows his way about round female anatomy, but I just did. <laughs> so surprise, surprise, I'm going with the Ji Chang Wook kiss. Who is surprised? Um, so I know this, this kiss has some critics, and I kind of do want to discuss this. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Healer and the post-elevator kiss. Um, so let me set it up just a little. The heroine Shay Young has been in contact with Healer, but they've never met face to face. Every time her eyes are covered, he has to keep his identity a secret. And she has asked to touch him, and her fingers have like just barely brushed his black leather jacket. But Healer is a damaged, damaged man. So until the elevator rescue, uh, which is epic, that's when he or <laughs> yeah, Healer is a damaged, damaged man. And then the elevator rescue happens. So he saves her from a plummeting elevator by using a fire hose, uh, like wrapped around his waist. I mean, it's a whole thing. They like blew the budget on, on this scene. Um, and the whole time her like winter hat, which is so cute. She has this cute, the cutest little, it's Parkman Young. And she has this cutest little winter hat with pom-pom on top. And uh, so it's covering her eyes the whole time. So she doesn't see it. And when he saves her and brings her to the rooftop, uh, she knows it's him, so she doesn't uh, take off her hat because she knows that he doesn't want her to see him. And, you know, so they're on the rooftop and it's snowing and her eyes are still covered and he kisses her. And I just swoon every time. I love that kissing scene so much. Um, so I have heard some people say that they don't like this kiss because Shay Young doesn't consent, which is, which is true. You know, he doesn't ask if he can kiss her and she doesn't say yes. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess a part of me felt like, you know, damn it as a viewer, like I consent, <laughs> like I consent to this healer Shay Young kiss. There's been buildup. Um, and I felt like, you know, Shay Young's actions up to this point make me believe that she would consent if there would have been verbal consent. But um, I guess I'd like to hear like uh, what, what Corinne thinks about this and what you guys think about this, because um, like I said, I have heard this criticism and I do think it's valid. Um, I'll still love this kiss for all I'm worth, but it it's true. There, there wasn't, there wasn't consent. So I haven't actually seen Healer. It's definitely on my list, but does she kiss him back? Yeah, she does. Okay, then it's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't push away. Oh, she. I, he. No. Well, and I would. Doesn't he end the kiss first? 
he ends the kiss first. I think she wants him to keep kissing her, but he ends the kiss and like runs away. But I've, yeah, but I've had, I've heard people say, I think it was like on Twitter, which K-drama Twitter can sometimes be like a whole other beast, <laughs> but they're like, you know, she didn't consent. And like, again, and again, I, I like, I do think that's valid. Again, there was not explicit verbal consent. He leans in, he kisses her, but she does kiss him back. And like I said, she like had asked to touch him before. Like a lot of it just made me feel like if he would have been like, can I kiss you? Shay Young would have been like, why did you wait so long? Yes. Kiss me. Like, you know, um, but, but correct. She doesn't push him away. She kisses him back and she clearly wants it to keep happening. So this might be like my spicy hard academic take here, but the deeper I get into like sort of consent kinds of research, I kind of find verbal affirmative consent as the gold standard sometimes a little bit problematic because the way that narrative started getting pushed was largely from university legal departments because it is a very measurable standard. And in fact, in a lot of studies, we understand body language just fine. Um, So like, so consent, this is again, maybe getting into the academic weeds, but a lot of like consent and verbal consent as the standard is founded on miscommunication theory, which suggests that sexual assault and violation of consent is a result of miscommunication, when the majority of the time that's not actually the case. It's someone knowing someone doesn't want something and then doing it anyway. So I think we, with this like standard of verbal affirmative consent and some people might disagree with me. That's fine. I think it, particularly in real life, there should be like, you should get consent, like without like a shadow of a doubt. But the way that that consent can be communicated isn't really one size. Thank fits you for all. that. See, this is why this is so fun to have you on. Yeah, you <laughs> see such interesting things. That's not how I ever would have thought about that. But I love it. Well, and not just because you're validating my favorite healer kiss. <laughs> I just think how you phrased that was was really interesting. So thank you. Thank you. And I and like I said, I'll love that healer kiss till the day I die. Till the day I die. <laughs> um so on the opposite spectrum, what's a K-drama kiss that left you cold? Uh Amy, what do you oh, think? Oh, I hate talking about this, but I have to talk about this. Um pretty much every kiss between Lee Min Ho and Sun Yi Jin in personal taste. I feel bad because I've basically been shitting on this drama whenever we bring up ones that didn't work for us, but Oh, these are two of my favorite actors, but this drama was just such a no for me. And I'm sorry to anyone who loved it. I do not want to yuck your yum. It just, it did not work for me on various levels. And because of that, I just, yeah, I didn't buy the romance. I didn't. Um, so for me, I don't want to talk about too much because neither of you watched any of the replies. Leah's so um, Karen, Leah's, I don't know if you've watched Leah's Reply so, 1994. Speaking of being, speaking of being, deris- so speaking of being derisive, <laughs> Megan, when you brought up derisive earlier, <laughs> Megan's yes. or Leah's throwing a lot of derisiveness at us tonight. Yeah, so much. Look, I'm not trying to be passive aggressive. I'm trying to be open and aggressive. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> okay but for me look like i just have to talk about some things even if you all haven't seen it so in this one i think one that left me cold was um the second male lead kissing scenes um in reply 1994 because the heroine just like was never feeling it and um 
I was really, really feeling it. <laughs> and so it left me cold because I spent the whole time being like, fucking damn it. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I just, I have a lot of complicated feelings about Reply 1994. And I, if you know, you know, basically. <laughs> yeah. So maybe building on that, I definitely get you because I have, I tend to have chronic second male lead syndrome and that like, I'm always more in almost, well, almost always more into the second male lead. And like, I get why the like leading lady picks the first male lead and it's fine, even if I don't understand. But the ones where the kisses don't work for me are ones where like, I think she's actively made a mistake. She has made the wrong choice. It is the wrong thing. So if I'm not convinced by the narrative, then the kiss won't work for me. So like, uh, one example of that recently was the drama on Netflix, Nevertheless. Um, I don't know if any of y'all mm-hmm. watched that one. I don't. I haven't yet because people were so angry about it. Yeah, kind of, it like, kind of turned me care. off because the anger. It's a, so it's a weird it. one because I, like, I, unlike most people, really, really liked it until the very last episode. So like, this will spoil it for you, but sorry. All right. Um, so it's basically. It's based on a webtoon and it ends differently than the webtoon. People also have complicated feelings about the webtoon. I don't know. But so like the premise is that uh, Yuna B ends up sleeping with this fuck boy for like a long time. (laughs) And then she realizes like that's not working for her. So she breaks up with him and it's like, oh my goodness. She's and it's like done. The drama did a really good job of setting him up is like, oh, this really this relationship is bad. She fell into it because she was in she was in a bad place after like a previous bad relationship and like you understand for me at least I understood why she was making the decisions that she made and then she breaks up with him and it's like you go girl you're gonna like find yourself and it's gonna be great and if you end up dating the second male lead also great but if you don't also fine but then instead she ends up getting back with the fuck boy because she changed him so like it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm so mad yeah. about it. I finished this months ago and I'm like still upset uh. talking about it. So even though like it's so interesting because so he's played by uh, Song Kong who's like excellent. He's like having his year right now. But like their kisses earlier worked for me in a like this is like dangerous and she knows she's making a mistake kind of way but also like it's pretty hot so like I get it sometimes a girl just needs to have sex but then like when they kissed at the end I was like this is ridiculous and I hate it and I'm mad that you did this but side note nevertheless does have like a super super cute girls love lesbian plot line that I think still made it worth watching for me in the end but oh then maybe I will okay I mean that you can fast forward through maybe some of the stuff if you want to, but the girls love plot line is excellent. I was going to say, go, thank you like, for that. Kind of dovetailing on that and just going back to, to me, not enjoying per- the kisses and personal taste. I should have mentioned the setup of that drama is the hero pretending to be gay to live in the heroine's apartment so that he can steal design ideas because he's entering an architecture contest. And that's not even the worst part of it, but like, that's the setup and for some reason, I was like, I think this will still be okay because it's Lee Min Ho and Sun Yu Jin, <laughs> and it was not okay. So, yeah, just throwing that out there. Mm. I will cross that one off yeah. my list um, of things to watch then. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have like a specific kiss that that left me cold. Because um, I, I just really hate surprise kisses which is just this like bland meeting of the lips like there's no tongue it's just this like 
this like press of the lips and and they have like fish eyes i i just i hate that there was even like a like a fish eye kiss kind of this like weird surprise kiss between the second leads and hometown cha-cha-cha that's not really like a spoiler but it was and i love them but this kiss was just i almost wish they didn't bother like i just don't bother with the kiss if you're just gonna give me this weird awkward like press of the lips like i like i give my cat <laughs> better kisses you know <laughs> her toe beans better than that anyway, there's so- glitter all over those there's like shit stuck in there come on Megan. <laughs> no there's not she keeps she keeps it clean she keeps it clean <laughs> I'm like dry right now. <laughs> oh god i love when i expose my further expose my crazy cat lady this on the and podcast I, like, and i'm a crazy cat lady too and i still okay. have not gone as far as to kiss the toe beans <laughs> My daughter will like, I'll be working in my office and my daughter will like bring in the kiss and just shove, or bring in the cat and just shove the cat's feet in my mouth. Like, look at how cute her feet are. And I'm like, they're, they're great. Like, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> what is a kissing scene that we wished existed, but we're wrong? Can I of? be like a huge broken record here? <laughs> One where we yeah, Jung Hyuk and Yoon Suri kiss in a bed. Like they are in the same bed in the same room in Crash Landing on You because they are freaking grown ass adults in love and deserved more. And so fucking did we. Uh, whoops. Yes. So I'm not going to be salty anymore about Reply 1988. Um, just, just kidding. I am salty. I still can't talk about it. Um, so I guess I'm going to talk about another drama that neither of you have fucking seen because <laughs> every drama I want to talk about, you haven't seen. And that is Mr. Sunshine. Corinne, have you seen Mr. I Sunshine? Haven't. That one's on my list. Like the next time I'm up to like okay, weep fair. a lot <laughs> at a K-drama. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to wag the finger at any of you. You'll get to it and you get to it. But I think the fact that I never saw the character Gu Dong Mei, who if you watch or listen to our Mary uh, Mate Murder podcast was my mate choice um the fact we never saw this character kiss and mr sunshine is a fucking criminal offense he doesn't ever so that's kiss? a spoiler i'm out i'm out <laughs> <laughs> I'm not but, but this isn't as big of a spoiler as the reply 1988 great kiss that never existed that i still can't fucking talk about either <laughs> I like really want to know who you're talking about, though. <laughs> you guys can go talk at a okay. Think channel. about. <laughs> Look, I understand. I understand why this kiss didn't happen, Corinne. So, like, you're not like missing okay. something huge. But I, there was a character in this that I felt very much like. I thought this character was like an endgame character, and then was not. I felt the same way. Yeah when I watched and it. And so I still just like feel like I would have liked to have seen some kissing there. I totally get why it didn't happen. Um, but like I don't know. I would have liked to have seen it a little bit, but I get also get why it didn't happen. That's fair. 
Uh, so for me, a kiss that didn't happen that I wish had happened was in the drama Sell Your Haunted House or Daybok Realty because it was billed as a horror rom-com, which is my favorite weird genre mix. And it came through on the horror, but the rom-com never materialized. So I'm like, Aww. I'm kind of mad about that because like, why would you label it as a romance if it's not that? But it was a super great show. Highly recommend. And I'm not sorry I watched it, but I'm very sorry that the main couple like never became a couple. Oh my gosh. So, that would that would blow. Yeah, like if you go in expecting a romance and never get it. Well, like they had such a good setup too. So like I find horror rom-coms hilarious because they like use tropes in unexpected ways and those genres should not work together. But like, so the main the main female lead is an exorcist, but like when she gets rid of ghosts, she like gets very cold and it uses a lot of energy, but then she finds this like medium who's like normally mediums are like they're kind of mediocre, but the this this one that she finds, but like when they like hold hands or like touch each other, she doesn't lose like her energy and like gets back to normal much faster after she does an exorcism. So like they had a perfect setup for it, and they did not use it, and I'm very mad. It's type. Have you seen Master's Son? It's from like 2013. Yeah, it's like it's one of the Hong sisters dramas, and that's my favorite one that like is playing with horror rom com kinds of tropes. I'm getting far afield because all of the kisses in that one worked for me, but uh, but that one is very fun and one I don't hear about a ton. But like, I really that one's like one of my favorite. So we want first of all we want to mention. Corinne's podcast again, Sex, Love, and Literature. So we do want to thank Corinne for joining us today. It was really fun. You had so much insightful stuff to say. Um, so thank you. And everyone, please follow her podcast. I'll put all um, the links and everything uh, to her podcast in like the show notes. So make sure you check her out. Thanks so much for having me. I had an excellent time. This was so much fun. So at the end of every one of our podcasts, we always say... Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!